So, again, thank you for your prayers on my trip to India, and uh, thank you for your support as well, and, uh, and for allowing me to do that. If you would, this morning, turn to the Gospel according to Matthew. So, we call it the Gospel according to Matthew. It has this title because it is according to Matthew. He's the one who wrote it. It is a perspective of his of the life of Jesus Christ. Now, as you know, we have four of those angles that are given to us in Scripture. Uh, and they are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so, many have seen Matthew as a book that deals with, as we've talked about before, deals with the authority of Jesus. I mean, he begins this way. He starts talking about the authority of Jesus from the very beginning. Talking about how Jesus is the son of David. Also, he's the son of Abraham, which means he's the king of the Jews. So, again, Jew would come from Abraham. King would come from David's line. And he proves both of those points in the genealogy that he offers at the very beginning of the book. Um, and so we know that this book partly is, is written because Matthew really wants us to know, he wants the Jews to know that who was crucified was actually the king of the Jews, the true king. We just sang about Jesus being the king, didn't we? And here it is, right here in Matthew, he is the king of kings. He was the true king, the promised king, the, again, son of David. So let's read these uh, verses here. This is Matthew 9, and we're going to start reading in 18 and go to 26. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For he said to, or for she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put aside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your holy word. Bless it now to our ears to truly hear, truly obey what you have to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew was a Jew and he knew the law. He knew it very well because he was also a tax collector. And any kind of government business would have required you to know the law. And so he knew both laws. He knew Roman law and he probably knew, uh, we we know he knew Jewish law, but he probably knew Roman law very well too. And he's one of the witnesses of Jesus Christ in his ministry. He's one of the people who actually wrote down for us, and we still have it today, an eyewitness account of Jesus Christ and his ministry. I mean, it's how we even base our news today, right? I mean, we talk about, oh, there's a tornado over here. And we have crazy people who go and run to go see it and take pictures of it and take video of it to pipe it to us. Why? Because we wouldn't believe it if they didn't. 
There's people that stand out in the, you know, in the middle of a, tor- a hurricane, right? And they're doing this number, stuff blowing out of me like, what an idiot! But you wouldn't believe it if somebody wasn't there to eyewitness it. And now we have four eyewitness accounts in the Bible that witness to the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, the reality is no one in their right mind disagrees that Jesus lived. Now, they disagree on who He was, but not that He lived. We know that Jesus lived. We know that uh, a, a person lived in the first century who was named Jesus, who made a huge impact on both the Jewish people and the Roman world at his time. We have writings of him. And so Matthew, here, here he is, he's a Jew, and he's a tax collector, you remember. Remember his conversion we talked about last week. He was the outcast. And one of the things that, that the Gospel writers often do, in particular Matthew, and in particular even Luke, they will talk about those who are on the fringe of society. Those who are on the outskirts or the sidelines you can think about. They're not the main players. Instead, they're sitting the sidelines out. Uh, such people as the poor, such people as women, such people as those who had physical ailments. These were all looked down upon in the ancient world. Uh, these were, and maybe not looked down upon as far as the women thing goes, but legally uh, not of any account. And so here Matthew gives us this morning two ladies who need something from Jesus. Interestingly here, you have several similarities that are really awesome once you start looking at this, at this passage. Both of them were actually told by Luke that the, the girl that died was 12 years old. The lady who touched Jesus had been 12 years in the situation she was in, which was some type of discharge of blood. More than likely, something to do with her cycle each month was, was wrong, was messed up. And she went to all kinds of doctors, we're told in Luke. It's a, a longer story in Luke. Even in Mark, it's a longer story. Matthew condenses it. Maybe he knows of their stories. We don't know. The point is, there's two ladies here, two, two girls. And actually, I want to go further and say this. There's actually two daughters. Notice that Jesus, just like He does with the paralytic. You remember the dude coming through the, through the roof, right? They lower him down. And Jesus, the first thing He says to him, Son, you're saying, hang on. Jesus didn't have any children. He wasn't married. So what does he mean by son? He means that he's God. And that is his son. And it also is a thing of personal touch. Just like when an older person says to you, son, come over here and help me out with this. And so here in verse 22, Jesus says to her, take heart, daughter. And yet then Jairus' daughter, we know the guy's name from Luke, he also says, my daughter is dead. And actually what we find out in the other scriptures uh, from the other uh, eyewitness accounts is that actually uh, this older lady who's having this problem interrupts the miracle of Jesus. So he's actually going to rescue this girl because she's actually just sick. And then because of this interruption, she dies in the meantime. And so you have two girls, two ladies... The t- number 12, that's both unique, and they both need Jesus. Not only that, not only that, we have to put ourselves in the situation. You think, oh yeah, she, well, she's dead, that's not good. But for a Jew, it was doubly not good. Alright, that was times two, because when you died, you were unclean. Remember the law? You were unclean. If you had a discharge of blood, especially a menstrual cycle for a woman, you were unclean. So both of these ladies also legally 
And remember, when we talk about law, we literally mean law. Like Jews actually had laws, and you were arrested if you broke those laws. And they were legally unclean. Both of them. And yet, here's Jesus, (laughs) who already is very popular. You remember this. As we read through Matthew, if you follow the flow of the narrative, he's already being followed around by hundreds, by thousands. They're wanting to see these miracles. Interestingly, as you move through Matthew, he gives that Sermon on the Mount, then he starts doing miracles. And really, Matthew, as a writer, begins to pile these miracles on top of one another. Really, almost back to back to back. I mean, you start, you start kind of flipping through your Bible there, and it's just back to back to back miracles after the Sermon on the Mount. Then they kind of shut down for a little while. Then there's more teaching. Then some more miracles are interspersed. Now, what is he doing? <laughs> well, as, as a speaker, as a writer, sometimes you choose to pile things on top of each other, just like if you're trying to make an argument. You know, who's the best NFL team? You're going to pile things on top of each other, back to back, to almost exhaust the person into your view. This is what I think Matthew's doing. He's got several miracles that are, that are really pushed together here. And, and I think his point is that the fireworks are, are going. I mean, when, when we open up a new business, what's one of the things we do is we have these ribbon cuttings. Lots of people come. There's some kind of free thing and maybe fireworks or maybe some kind of big display. I think this is what's going on. Jesus is starting His ministry and He's starting off with a bang. There's lots of miracles. And miracles are an interesting thing. We sometimes ask for them. We sometimes wonder why they don't happen. And C.S. Lewis has a good book. I hate to always uh, recommend him to you, but he does have a good book on miracles. It's called Miracles. Very original. (laughs) And in this book, he lays out the fact that some of uh, of the opponents of the faith are going to say that the Bible is just this miraculous book that has a bunch of fantastical stories in it, and it's not believable. It's not grounded in reality. You know, it's just miracle after miracle. And what he shows in there, biblically, and if you've read your Bible, you know that there's not just in every story miracles. I mean, read Leviticus. Show me a miracle. Look at First and Second Chronicles, other books of the Bible. Huge sections of the Bible go without any miracles. Look at the life of Jeremiah, who's one of the prophets of God. God's very own man, and he doesn't do any miracles, nor is anyone converted under his teaching or prophesying that we know of. And so we said to ourselves, well, what's the deal with miracles? I mean, why are they happening in some places? Why are they not happening in other places? Miracles are always a sign. God's not doing them just to show out. Actually, when people want Him to show out, He doesn't on purpose. Remember when He comes to His own hometown? And they say, hey, we're so glad you're here. I mean, we've been, we've been hearing about this stuff. We're ready to see it, man. We bought tickets for the front row. And He says, yeah, I'm not going to do anything here. Well, what, what, what do you mean? Not going to do anything here. I knew he was just a carpenter's son. That's what they say. They lack faith. He's not there to put on a show. Amen. We cannot control God as if he's a dog and pony show, as if he's part of the circus act. We don't pay him to get something from him. It's not the way this relationship works. We can only trust. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey, not manipulate. You know, we're very good at that in our relationships. 
and we translate that up to God. Well, if you don't do this, then I'm going to do this. We actually threaten God. How comical. And yet it's not. And so miracles are actually done on purpose. I mean, the, the funny thing to me always about... It probably shouldn't be funny, but the funny thing to me always about reading about somebody who Jesus raises from the dead or somebody that gets raised from the dead is they have to die twice. That's not funny to anybody else. I mean, Lazarus, yeah, we're like, yes, that's awesome, Lazarus, you're alive again. Yeah, you got to die twice. You know, how's that going to feel? I don't know, but but he had to die twice. I mean, you still die. You get healed from cancer, you're still going to die. You know, you get healed from some kind of disease, some miracle happens where your life is spared, you're still going to die. It's the one thing that we will for sure do is die. It's one thing we all have in common. It is the great equalizer of humanity is death. It'll happen to us all. And so miracles are done on purpose. They're done to teach us something. And this miracle here is done to teach us something. Actually, there's two miracles here, as as you know. One interrupts the other. And Lewis has a great, great point. He says, look, there's seasons of miracles in the Bible. There's times where God needs to really bring the heat where God really needs to have the fireworks blazing, so to speak, where there's a grand opening. And, and, and he uses this beautiful image of a, of a door, an old hinged door, you know. And he says when, when God is doing something new, He opens that door, think Lord of the Rings kind of door, you know, big, big door, iron wrought door. And when that door opens, there are sparks of revelation that are flying and those sparks are the miracles that are coming out of that. So in other words, when God institutes His own nation, right, in the Exodus, when He calls out a nation out of nothing, out of bondage, lots of sparks are flying. I mean, He's opening a door that's huge. Grand opening. Boom! Here's a new nation. Uh, You have another season of miracles around Elijah and Elisha, you'll remember, where really almost all of Israel has gone to pagan worship. They've almost entirely left Yahweh worship completely. And here's these two guys that really a lot of sparks are flying. And they really needed to. And then you have, of course, Jesus. You have, of course, the church. When, when Jesus comes, lots of sparks are flying. God's doing something new. And it's awesome. It's a grand opening. His kingdom has come, right? That's what, they, that's what John the Baptist was preaching. It's what Jesus started preaching. And then, of course, when the church begins, lots of miracles in Acts. Um, and it's because God, again, is instituting His church. It's very dangerous in those times to disobey God. If you actually notice, a lot of people are killed around those times when the door is opening. Because you, you don't get it wrong right up at the beginning. If it's very clear, if the signs are very clear, you don't get it wrong. Think about Nadab and Abihu. Once God instituted the Levitical system, the sacrificial system, they said, yeah, we're going to go get the cheap stuff. And God burns them up. Don't you think everybody else that came after them could still smell their burnt flesh? And remind themselves, yeah, I'm not going to go get the cheap stuff. I'm going to do it God's way. They are lessons for us. That should be us. That should be me. If God was, was, was only fair in life, that would be me. I'd be toast. But instead, He's gracious. And He's very kind. And He's, and he's long-suffering with us. And so miracles are done, done on purpose. They're done for a reason. And in our story here, I think it's clear These are two ladies that would have been considered unclean. And for Jesus to touch them, which one touched Him, remember, the other, He touched her, that would have made Him unclean as a Jew. 
The little secret is, though, Jesus is not just a Jew. Jesus is also God. And when the pure touches the unpure, impure, when the living touches the dead, it can't do anything else but live. It can't do anything else but become pure. You see, it may work on us that we get contaminated, but He will not be contaminated. He is only light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. You know what at all is in the Greek? It means at all, right? That's all it means. He is only light. He is only life. He is the resurrection. And when He touches death, death in our life, when He touches disease in our life, when He touches the disease of sin in our life, there's healing. There's cleansing. This is a story about healing and resurrection. Two things that we desperately need in our own life. Now, we can talk physical and ask God for the miracles to come, but there's a miracle that often happens that we never even talk about, and that is a pure heart. That's a clean conscience. That's walking blameless before God. That's walking in the Spirit. That's the miracle of miracles, and here's why. All the other miracles will be reversed by death. You get delivered now, you still die. Not in the Spirit. If He makes you alive now, you can live for all of eternity. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? I've got some water that you won't have to come back for more. She said, oh, that's great. And He wasn't talking about physical. He was talking about putting a river of life in her that flows out to others and gives life to all those around her. Isn't that what we really want? And yet, and yet, we're obstructed by sin. Sin stops us up like a dam. It dirties the river. And yet, the answer is always to touch Him. It's never to run away. It's never to turn away. Very, I love this. I love this because, you know, this would have normally been read aloud. Like all nine verses up to today would have normally been read aloud. I mean, you know, most of their stuff was not, here's a book. They didn't have that. It was somebody memorized it. Somebody read it to them. So you would have heard this before, uh, which is in verse 19. And Jesus rose and followed. You would have heard rose and followed him. Remember in Matthew's call last week? You remember that? Jesus says, follow me, and He rose and followed Him. It's literally what it says. Now it's being repeated except about Jesus. Why? Because someone asked. When you go to God in prayer, you move mountains. You can't see that. That's why this walk is about faith. It's not about you. If we could see what we were able to do in prayer, we would be the most prideful people in the world. But instead we can't see it, and yet we do it. And God does everything by prayer. Here, He rises and follows this man to his dead daughter, who's 12 years old. And on the way, he's interrupted by this other lady who reaches out and... Now, she knew, she knew the Jewish law that if she touched him, it would make him unclean, and yet he makes her clean. Because she reaches out and touches him. 
We always want a 12-step plan, a 3-step plan, a 3-point sermon. We want, we want a list of things. We're always looking for a checkbox. We just want to check things off and then be done with it. The problem is, relationships aren't like that, are they? You try to treat your wife, your husband, like a checkbox, it's not going to work out. I'm done with that. Alright, now leave me alone. I've done everything I needed to do. It's not mechanical like that, is it? And neither is God. This is about a relationship with Jesus Christ, not a checklist. Reach out and touch Him by faith. You know what that means. Don't try to act like you don't. Do it. Faith is about doing it without being able to understand it or see it. Again, Jesus at the Last Supper, He doesn't take the Eucharist. He doesn't take the bread and say, take and understand. He said, take and eat. By faith, remember me. He knew we weren't going to ever understand it. His ways are always higher than our ways. We are not God. He is. Doesn't mean we learn, stop learning. Just because I can't understand Jessica doesn't mean I quit today. No. Love pushes us to make decisions, to love the other person, to know the other person, to make promises to the other person. It's the craziest thing in the world. When you really love someone, you want to make promises to them that bind you to them. And this is what marriage is all about. This is what our relationship to Jesus Christ is about. We bind ourselves to Him. We'd say we don't want any other lovers. In our heart, the heart, Jeremiah says, is deceitful above all things. I can't see your heart. See your actions. You can see my actions. We can guess. Only God knows the heart. We don't even know the depths of our corruption. But you've seen it before in your actions. You've seen it before when you've said to yourself, why did I do that? Why do I do that? Can I tell you something? There is healing available. There is good news here. Twelve years she searched, but she didn't give up. Twelve years! You ever struggled with something for twelve years? Keep struggling then. Don't give up. Never give up. You must not. If there's anything that He may be teaching us in the struggle, is not to give up. To remain faithful to the fight. We cannot afford to lay down and become bait for the enemy. It's what He wants, is us to give up. If you struggle with something, with a sin, with an attitude, reach out to Him. Cry out His name. Fascinating. Matthew constantly, and the other Gospel writers constantly show how the crowds will get in the way of the miracle. They'll get in the way of people getting to Jesus. You remember the paralytic? Think about him. He can't get in because of the crowds. Everybody's wanting to see. What's he, oh, what's he doing today? We cannot follow the crowds, yes, 
but we also cannot allow them, not even church people, to get in our way of Jesus. Do you hear me? You say, somebody hurt me at church. Okay. Don't let that get in the way of Jesus. Somebody not treating me right. Don't let that get in the way of Jesus. Push through the crowd. Find a different way. Here, they paid people back in the day to come and mourn with you. So like if, you know, if somebody died in your family, you would pay these professional mourners to come and play very, very sad songs. You know, we didn't have, they didn't have iPods to play sad, sad songs, so they had to pay people to come over and play sad songs for them and cry with them when somebody died. So apparently this, this group had gathered. You remember the commotion? Here's what Jesus says to them. Go away. It's real nice, isn't it? Go away. He said she's not dead but she's sleeping. And they laughed at Him. Laughed at God. But when they'd been put aside, He took her by the hand and she arose. Don't let anyone or anything, any relationship, any job, any hobby, get in the way of you touching Jesus. Amen. Don't. There's nothing more important than Jesus. You know that in your right mind, and yet when you walk out these doors, everything else comes crashing and swallowing you. Don't let it. Secure time with Him. Guard it with your life. You must know Him. You do not want to get to the end of your life taking your last breath and then hear those words, I never knew you. You must be known by Jesus Christ. You must know Him. (laughs) You must reach out like this woman and touch Him. We must have His healing touch to all the areas of our life that are dead. Now, Jesus, of course, is the resurrection and life. And it's interesting and it's a funny idea that in all the myths, all the epic stories, there's always resurrection. It's it's the craziest thing. I mean, you know, you die and then you come back. Or like in Hinduism. Or like Krishna, he dies and comes back. Or like in Harry Potter, he dies and he comes back. Because of love, by the way. Because love is stronger than death. Because God is love. Love is not just some mushy feeling that we get when we're listening to certain songs. Or when we first meet someone. It's something we do. Saying that love is a feeling is like saying a flower is a smell. It produces a smell. But it's not just a smell. Neither is love. It's something we do. And then the feelings come. But even when the feelings aren't there, will we still love? When the dark night of the soul comes, everything is crashing down, 
We only need to see Jesus. It sounds so simple. Because it is. We make it harder. The heart is deceitful above all things. It must be made new. Don't allow your heart to become hard. Saying no to God so many years can make one very, very hard. It'll get out of control. Before you know it, it'll be stronger than you are. Reach out today with the eye of faith and touch Jesus. No matter how long you've been struggling, there's healing. He is not a weak God. He has a powerful (laughs) salvation, which includes His grace, which is here today and available for you by faith. You just have to say yes and do it. Stop making excuses. Stop sinning. Stop going your own way. Stop trusting in your own righteousness. And look at Him. He's here with us. <laughs> and all we've done today in this service is to point to Him. And so now we pray to Him. It's kind of like fishing. And you drop your, drop your bait down there. And then you just wait. And all of a sudden, you get a tug. And you're like, whoa, something's, on the, something's actually on the other end here. Some of us have been fishing with God for a long time and we've never felt that tug. But today you have. You better respond. You don't know when the next one's going to come. This is not your game. It's not my game. If you know there's sin in your life, if you know that there are places that are dead in your life, places that need healing, Would you respond to Jesus Christ? All you have to do is tug at it. Reach out. Call on His name. Confess your sins. And He will be faithful and just to forgive us, but not just stop there. Cleanse us. Did you catch that? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is He lying? No, He's not. All unrighteousness. The thing that will change the world is not nuclear weapons. Not raw power, but saints. Not the football team. (laughs) Saints means holy ones. Holiness unto God. Be holy, for I am holy. He can make that possible. Don't not believe that message today. That's the enemy. I wish I could do it for you, but I can't, so... Now it's time for you to actually pray to Jesus Christ. I'll ask Rachel to come and 